would invite you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6 as we resume our study. This evening we are going to be looking at verses 20 through 23. This is the word of the living and the true God. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished." Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Father, we thank you for your word and all of the richness and fullness it contains. And Lord, as you have preserved these verses and brought them to us tonight, open them to our understanding that we might live before you in the light of your word For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It comes as no surprise to anyone that occasionally married couples have disagreements. Neither is it very shocking that sometimes those disagreements can get feisty and spicy. Sharp words exchanged. Hurts inflicted and hurts absorbed. And sadly, those dynamics can end up causing estrangement. Marriages can even break up when such dynamics are allowed to go unchecked and unresolved. Throughout the years, Delu and I have not always seen eye to eye on absolutely everything. And that may shock you, but it shouldn't. And neither would we be surprised to learn that some of you have marital difficulties of this sort at times. It's life in a fallen world. Sinners married to sinners will sin at times toward their spouse. And whenever one spouse lands a first blow, the other can strike back in kind. The only perfect marriage in human history is between Jesus Christ and his church. And that marriage is ideal not because the church is fully sanctified, but rather because Jesus is the perfect husband. But I'm not going to be giving you marital counseling tonight. Rather, I want to expound our passage in such a way as to equip and encourage you for living by faith in Christ. 
And I think if you take these things to heart, it might sweeten your marriage or any other relationship that you find yourself in. So I want to begin by looking first at David's humble worship. Then we're going to consider Michael's scorn. And finally, David's double-edged response. Well, over the course of this chapter, chapter 6, David has gone through a very rough experience. His initial efforts to bring the ark to Jerusalem had ended in tragedy. David was angry and afraid, and he temporarily abandoned the project. During the months that followed, David did some soul-searching. Why had Uzzah died? What had gone wrong with all of his good intentions? Was he to blame? And if so, for what? What was his sin that ended in the Lord bursting out against Uzzah? It was through God's word that King David came to realize that his whole approach had been wrong. It had been wrong from the start. He had disregarded God's clear word and instead had employed Philistine methods. He should have transported the ark in, the, in God's appointed fashion by utilizing the Levites carrying the ark with the golden poles. So by the time that David is ready to resume his efforts, he is humbled chastened and corrected by the word of God that can be a very painful place to inhabit but it's a very good place to be to be humbled to be chastened to be corrected by God's word put you in a place to receive God's blessings if you never receive those helpful corrections and chastisements. If you're never humbled from your pride, you will make the same foolish, sinful mistakes over and over again. You will experience very predictable results, and the pain will just continue. And so even though we often shy away from God's correction because it hurts, we should welcome it with open arms because it's the very best thing for us. And judging from the various accounts of this whole period, it seems that David understood that he needed that correction. His second attempt was far better. It was safer, and it was more reverent. God blessed David's determination to do this good work in God's ordained way. The Levites, the sons of Kohath, did their work and the ark arrived at its home in Jerusalem. From the position of humility, David worshipped. He gave his whole heart to worship the Lord his God. It says he danced with all his might as the ark made its way to Jerusalem, and the singers sang, and the players played. 
it really could not have gone better than it did. All Israel joined in this vibrant, spontaneous, joyful worship. This was a corporate affair where David was leading them and they were joining with him with all of their hearts as well. David at this time had laid aside his royal robes and he was clothed now in the garment of a priest. He was wearing a linen tunic. This is the worship of a humble man, a man whom the Lord had chastised for a moment. But now he was altogether restored and he was full of joy. His eyes were on the Lord his God and on no one else. This is what worship should be. Joyful. Not, not manufactured joy. Not a plastic happiness. Not a pretend exuberance. But, but a real, spontaneous, heartfelt joy in the Lord and His goodness to us. And as we engage in such joyful worship with our eyes fixed upon the Lord our God, the joy just expands and continues and grows. Now in his humble condition, David was surrounded by other people. These were ordinary Israelites. They had come to join in the festivities as the ark was transported. They were not the powerful and the famous. They were not movers and shakers in Israelite society. But rather, they were just average folk, ordinary citizens of the kingdom, joining in with their king in joyful worship and service to the Lord their God. Among them were male servants and maidservants. And this was likely a very rare experience for them to be so very close to their king and to be on an even footing with David. It was rather unusual, unprecedented. But David paid no attention to them because his gaze was fixed upon the Lord his God. In God's presence, they were all alike. None was greater, none was lesser in God's sight. They were all of God's people, and they joined together in shared worship. After the ark had been installed in its new home, and the appropriate sacrifices had been offered, David further delighted the gathered crowd by distributing gifts to his fellow worshipers. Everyone that day went home with a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins. These gifts brought cheer to the hearts of the people as they thanked their king and went home in peace. What a good day it had been. What a great day. David was in the clouds as he headed home, still singing and dancing and rejoicing before the Lord. Well, unbeknownst to David, 
his wife Michael, the daughter of Saul, had been watching these festivities. She was not present, and she was certainly not involved by no means. She had merely observed these goings-on through the window of the palace. And from her vantage point, she saw her husband in his glory, dancing and leaping with all of his might before the Lord. Verse 16 records the scene. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. This is really the key moment. It's the turning point for Michael in her whole life. When she saw her husband, she sat in judgment upon his humble worship, and she passed sentence upon him. She despised her husband in her heart. This response is clearly sinful on Michael's part. The Apostle Paul says this plainly in Ephesians 5, verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Though David obviously had a duty, a positive duty, to love Michael as himself, she is required to see to it that she respects her husband. And Michael didn't do this. She did not guard her heart or cultivate respect for David. Instead, she let her heart go. And she allowed herself to look down on and to despise her man. She scorned him and thought mean and critical thoughts about him and his behavior. For the next hours, she stewed in her spite. How could he behave that way? In public. Her father, King Saul, would have never lowered himself to such a contemptible position as that. He wouldn't have danced with the riffraff of Israelite society. The more she considered things, the angrier she became. Oh, she would show him if he ever got home from his carousing. Well, when David did finally arrive at home, he came with a blessing for his household. The euphoria of the celebration had not yet passed, and he came home in high and holy spirits. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David as he arrived. And what she says to her husband here is pure poison. You can hear the sarcasm dripping from her words. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today 
in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. Boom! She has zinged him. She told him. She speaks with sarcasm and contempt, accusing him of behaving lewdly in front of servant girls and maids. Her words were designed to hurt, and they went home with all of their poison. In this, Michael was proud. Plain and simple, she was just proud. She looked down upon her husband. She spoke dismissively to him and about him. She places herself over him and she mocks and ridicules him as if he were some stupid schoolboy. Furthermore, she engages in exaggeration and false accusation. Her assertion that he had uncovered himself before the maidservants is speculative at best. The text provides no substantiation for her accusation. I said this before, and I'll say it again. David was not naked that day. He was not even partially naked that day, especially in front of the women. He wore the clothing of a priest, and priests were not exhibitionists. Moreover, from the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 15, which we looked at last Sunday, it seems very likely that David wore a robe of fine linen with a linen ephod over top of that. So he was actually wearing two linen garments, a robe and an ephod. So Michael, in her pride, is lying about her husband to his face. She accuses him of something which was patently false. She bore false witness against her husband. How often pride is at the root of our relational problems. Certainly this is true in marriage, but it can also be an issue between parents and children, between siblings, between close friends, classmates, co-workers, employers, employees. The list just goes on and on. In every realm of human relationships, pride can be an issue. It can also exist within the church. As members can be proud toward their officers, or officers exhibit pride toward their members. Even between fellow Christians, pride is often at the root of broken friendships. Proud attitudes typically overflow into proud words. The sins of the heart translate into the sins of the tongue. Things are said in order to hurt. The arrow finds its targets. It hits bullseye. It inflicts deep 
and lasting pain. I think each one of us in any of our relationships can think of times where we were being foolish and proud and we said things that were designed and determined to hurt another person. This is not an uncommon occurrence. This is not something that happens once every blue moon. This is a sin that is frequent in human relationships. Pride in the heart leads to proud words that are meant to cause pain. When such things happen, people stop trusting each other. They stop believing each other. They will stop accepting one another. Suspicion and distrust grows like a cancer. The end of this chapter is extremely tragic. The last verse says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, there's different opinions, different views as to what's going on here. Did David just stop having any relations with her? Or did the Lord close her womb? Or was it both? Whatever exactly went on, biologically speaking, she was a lonely woman who died childless. The scripture indicates that children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, the psalm says. To die alone and childless, alienated and estranged from your husband, bitter. It's a very tragic end for a woman who had admittedly a difficult life. But even with all of the challenges that she faced, it still came down to a choice she made when she saw her husband worshiping the Lord and she chose to despise him and to let her spite ruin her relationship with her husband. Well, David was no doubtedly, uh, was undoubtedly provoked by Michael's caustic comments. Her accusations nettled him, and so he responded. His response is double-edged. On the one hand, he pays back in kind to Michael, saying things that are purposefully hurtful to her. You see that when he reminds her that the Lord chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Well, that is true. It's factually true. We cannot dispute the truthfulness of his statement. But it is also hurtful. It's intentionally hurtful. By throwing her father Saul and his many failures up in her face, David is gloating over her and the failure of the household, household of Saul. And that is simply mean-spirited. David should not have stabbed her 
without knife, and he should not have twisted the blade. David's pride was stung, and so he stung back. Now, putting ourselves in David's place, we might feel justified. Well, she started this. She drew first blood. And I'm just telling her a little hard truth that she needs to remember. It's not my fault. I didn't pick this fight. We cannot control what other people say or do, but we always have control and responsibility for what we say and do. They may provoke us horribly, aggressively. We don't have to take the bait. We don't have to pay back in kind with interest. They hurt you. You don't have to hurt them. And although it may feel satisfying and somewhat justifying to pay back in this way, it's actually displeasing in God's sight. Never return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. It is a soft word that turns away wrath, but a harsh word will provoke more wrath. So David did wrong here. I think that's fair to say. He allowed himself to make her feel the pain and the shame of her father's rejection. But not everything that David says here is equally bad. In reality, I think the overarching response is actually quite good. It's commendably good. First, we notice in verse 21 that he tells her that his dancing and his worship was before the Lord. This was to the Lord. It was for the Lord. It was in God's presence. His worship was designed for the Lord's enjoyment, not for anyone else. In worshiping as he did, David was not showboating. He was not showing off in order to call attention to himself. But he was worshiping his God. And Michael did not understand or appreciate that fact. Michael looks at things very much like an unbeliever would. She doesn't see what's the fuss about. So you had a parade and there were some singers and there were some players and it was a happy time. But why did you have to get so into it? I remember one time when we were on vacation in downstate Indiana and we went to an RPCNA church. These are psalm singers and they do not use musical instruments except the pitch pipe which in my opinion is a musical instrument, but that's beside the point. We were sitting there in worship one Sunday evening, and there was a young woman sitting a couple rows in front of us. And in this a cappella, psalm-singing, psalm-only church, this woman was so 
into worshiping the Lord through singing that psalm. You could just see it radiating from her. She was having communion with God through His Word as she sang the psalm to Him. It was so moving and so beautiful. An unbeliever doesn't, doesn't get it. They don't understand how can you have fellowship with God in worship? How can you draw near to the, the infinite and eternal God by singing His Word or hearing His Word proclaimed? And, and they just don't understand this. Michael doesn't understand what David was actually doing. But David is insistent. He was worshiping his God. I think there is a sense that we really have no business criticizing how other people relate to God. That's their affair. Who are we to judge God's servants for how they relate to their master and how he relates to them. We have no authority to make such judgments. And certainly Michael had no authority to critique David on how he was relating to Yahweh his God. Well then, as David continues to ponder her jibe, he commits himself to continue worshiping the Lord. God had appointed David to be the ruler of the people of the Lord, to be king over Israel. He was God's ordained servant. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord, he says. He wouldn't be shamed or cowed or criticized into submission. But instead, he would continue to worship the Lord his God freely and wholeheartedly. In fact, he adds, I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. Michael, you accuse me of going too low, but I will lower myself further still. I will be abased. I will be humbled to the dust before my God and my King. But among those maidservants that you mentioned so contemptuously with them I will be distinguished as I humbly worship and serve my God with all my heart all of his true children will rejoice with me they will esteem me because I love my God you just see the heart of humility David has here yeah, he lashed out and he made her feel bad about Saul. But overall, he's saying, look, guilty as charged. And I will continue to worship my God. You may mock me and ridicule me and despise me and scorn me all you want. That's your problem, not mine, because I love God and I will keep worshiping him with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind, that is my chief aim in life. And so David is really taking a lot of abuse here. But he's standing firm to his commitment to worshiping the Lord. In this, I think that David prefigures and foreshadows our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus embraced true humility, just as David does here. Jesus humbly served his Father and obeyed the Father's word in utter humiliation, even in the cruel death of the cross. And for this, all true-hearted Christians esteem the Savior for his humble greatness. And as he leads us forth in his humility, we too embrace the humility of Christ and live out what he sets before us. People like Michael are all over the place. And they're cranky and they're crabby and they've got all of their overblown proud opinions. And where do they end up? Isolated, alone, dying, without anyone around them. But David and the people of the Lord and Christ and His church, we are worshiping and praising and serving as a prelude and preparation for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. For this is what we will do before the Lord for all eternity. We will celebrate before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving David the humility to worship you with all his heart. To give himself entirely and unreservedly to your praise, honor, and glory. And Lord, give us that same commitment that David had. That we too might be worshipers who worship with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And are humbled to the dust as we serve you. Hear us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.